You are listening to the Forcecom Frontline, bringing you to our soldiers on the front lines of readiness. Hey everyone, welcome to the Forcecom Frontline. I'm Ashley and I'm your host. Today we are starting a brand new season of the Frontline and I am lucky enough to have our Public Affairs Sergeant Major Randy Randolph here to help me out. So welcome back to the podcast. This is your second time guest hosting. It is and um, thank you. Happy to be here and uh, have this discussion with Sergeant Major Holland. Yeah. So like you said, to kick off this season, we our first guest is the top enlisted soldier in Forcecom, Command Sergeant Major T.J. T. Holland. I always mess up your name, Sergeant Major. It's the easiest I, one. I know. <laughs> my, my tongue and I just, whatever. <laughs> Every time. So T.J. Holland, our Forcecom Command Sergeant Major. So welcome. Thank you for taking your time out of your schedule to do this. I know you wanted to do this and we've been trying to get you on for a little while. So I'm happy we were finally able to make it happen. No, absolutely. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it. You know, I was just down the road for a little while, and now I find myself up here on the, the Greater Forcecom team. So re- honored to be in here. And uh, uh, Sergeant Major Randolph's here because we deferred his uh, next assignment a little bit longer because <laughs> his backfill won't make it here uh, quickly enough. So glad that he's still on our team as well. Yes. All right. All right. Thanks, Sergeant Major. And, and Sergeant Major, let's get to know you a little bit better. Sure. So if I do my math right, you're coming up on 30 years of service this year. Combined, uh, a lot of people don't know, but I was a National Guardsman once upon a time. All okay. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and during that time, um, you've been to Europe, you've been to Hawaii. Um, you have uh, deployments that include Joint Task Force Liberia, Operation Iraqi Freedom, Operation Enduring Freedom, Oper- Operation Resolute Support, and multiple no-notice um, crisis responses for the uh, immediate response force. So really, there's, there's no area throughout your career that you haven't covered. And, and one thing I wanted to ask you is, um, throughout all your experiences, what are some of the biggest things that you think you bring to the table as the senior enlisted for Forcecom? We, you kind of said a little bit there, experience. Um, I started my career right here on, on Fort Liberty, and, and I've been lucky enough uh, to, to still be here at the kind of twilight, uh, if you would say, since you're kind of putting numbers out there for me and aging <laughs> me um, of my career. So, you know, I started off as a paratrooper in 82nd, living in the barracks. Um, I've, I've lived in the barracks from E1 to E5. I've, I've got, like you mentioned, multiple... Uh, assignments to Europe, both in Italy and Germany. Um, I've been stationed in Hawaii, I've been deployed to CENTCOM, no notice several times as you uh, alluded to, as the 18th Airborne Corps, our major and immediate response force. So whether it's me personally or my, my spouse or my children, you know, I bring a, a wealth of experience of, you know, the operational tempo of what it is to be a paratrooper. Um, my, my experience in the 4th Infantry Division, um, seeing the impacts of the the tempo on our armor formations Mm -hmm. our striker formations Uh, there's unsatiable desire for forces command soldiers across our ward Uh, and there's no better way in experience uh, wise is be it's being ready to fight tonight sure you know that that's that's the the number one thing when you think about it and coincidentally aligns with the chiefs number one mm. thing and our right. who we are as warfighters absolutely so you know one of the things you didn't mention that you've done is you were over at the golden knights and i, I just was. found oh, this right. out yeah. last week which is pretty awesome and you were the sergeant major over there right i was uh you know i was at the sergeant major academy and then uh came out uh, after graduation uh, the command selection list and it said united states army parachute team and i said what's this <laughs> um 
Because it didn't say Golden Knights. So I'm like, hey, I got to do some research. I'm like, Golden Knights, how is that possible? I'm not free fall guy. Um, but then I got went and showed up and got thrown in the accelerated free fall program. I think it was a really good spot for me to to show up because majority of my career has been in forces command or or warfighting formation, minus a brief tenure as a ranger instructor in a mountain phase ranger school, which is ranger school. Um, <laughs> but the yeah. the parachute team taught me a lot of a lot of great things. You know, I got to interact with our army senior leaders members of the Joint Force. Uh, I got to interact with national celebrities, regional celebrities. You know, yeah. the, the tandem team does great things over there. I mean, they're called the Golden Knights because they've been golden medals ever since their their right. inception. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. That's when I found out they had a close relationship uh, with several former presidents that loved, <laughs> loved the skydive and some yeah. to this day. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you – what a – like I said, it was a – Threw me in the so the media relations lens like yeah. I had never uh, had any experience from yeah, that. That's before. what you said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you know the other thing I wanted to pull on is you talked about op tempo and family, and you have a young family, I and do. so um, I think you bring a lot of experience of of having a family and going through some of those deployments and in the effect that that has on on soldiers and the families overall. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit sure. more as we go on. But so you are right after 90 days or so. Um, and so I'm just curious, what have your observations been so far as the force comm sergeant major? You know, the the boss asked me that too. Um, <laughs> it was funny too because uh, the commander's initiative group, before uh, Sergeant Major Sims and I switched out, you know, they sat down with me. He's like, hey, Sergeant Major, you know, uh, it's not no no better time than before you go in position, start thinking about an assessment. It's like, well, I'm not a commander. I don't feel comfortable assessing other commanders. But I, uh, as a sergeant major, you know, as a senior enlisted leader, responsibilities give commander feedback. And I think that's what's been important for my relationship with my commanders throughout my career. And coincidentally, it's perfectly aligned 90 days with going home on a little bit of holiday leave, mm. get the time to do some reflection as uh, force comes top NCO, and then kind of look at the commander's readiness guidance because he kind of did an in-stride assessment on there. And there was a couple things that, you know, uh, relationship, as far as across uh, other leaders and forces command and what we're doing right now um, as we're kind of transforming in contact. And, and I know we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but there's this started back with general Garrett when we had this gated training strategy, which preceded him back when general Milley was the force comp sergeant major. And we decided, Hey, we're going to go ahead and try to really objectively measure readiness. We're going to start the lowest level, we're going to do a training exercise. We're going to do a live fire exercise, and it's going to culminate at our capstone, which is the combat training center, both national and joint readiness training centers. Well, that kind of put us in a very hard time con uh, constraint because there was still a CENTCOM fight going on. Uh, Indo-Pacific was becoming uh, a big draw because our pacing threat, our competitor out there in that region, um, Europe is kind of – balance and act with uh, reassuring the allies and partners we have over there. So the, the tempo was still going on, so it was really hard to build readiness at a, at a time and threshold fast enough um, to make sure families had a time to kind of be families before we kind of, <laughs> you know, throw, throw a brigade forward and come back. Kind of like right. the old R4 gen, right? You knew when you came home 11 months later, you were <laughs> going on leave before you deployed again, kind yeah. of mind stretch. Exactly. And then that was just, it was too much of a, of a burden really on our commanders and in really our training apparatus. So General Greer, rightly so, saw a deficit, mostly, mostly at our platoon and squad level. He said, hey, 
let's slow it down. Let's get more reps and sets. Let's let's migrate to this foundational training strategy. Yeah. So we really focused, really, uh, what, what the commander kind of talks about winning the first fight, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that starts with the smallest echelon possible, and that's our squads, platoons that are out there. So we, we focused that. We got really good. Uh, we, we had all these lessons learned in the combat training center. We were revisiting, and then we started kind of turning those back. We got back into multi-domain operations, and we saw some really huge success out there. And then when General Pappas came on board, he's like, hey, we're really good at that, but our battalions and brigades are kind of missing that higher-level profic- collective proficiency as far as synchronizing all those warfighting uh, elements at that, at that level. And he said, I want to get to, I want to, get to this uh, multi-echelon brigade and below training strategy. We're not going to leave away the, the lethality we've built at platoons and squads, but I want to get to higher level collective proficiency, even get the division in the dirt, right? right? Um, where the, the divisions are now starting to rotate out there. And our first big one, uh, first ID did it uh, before. They were the first one kind of piloted it, but first armor division is about to start up here uh, next month. Yep. Now, what I've seen is, Hey, we rightfully so we have to get there because we're going to, in accordance with FM 3-0, the division is going to be the new principal warfighting right. headquarters. Yeah. And we're going to new R struck once it's finalized, hand slapped on the table, and then we can go out and we can start transforming in contact. We're going to pull some capability up at the division and we got to figure out, not really figure out, we, we have to actually employ that readiness appropriately while we're stressed in yeah. a warfighter, division editor, or the CTC. Absolutely, yeah. Now, coincidentally, in our policy 600-20 and in, a, in our training regula- uh, manual, excuse me, 7-0, non-commissioned officers are responsible for individual <laughs> right. crew, yeah. team, squad training. So there's no reason we should degrade our squad and platoon level proficiency because we have NCOs as trainers, principal trainers for those formations out there. So commanders continue to drive collective excellence at the mm-hmm. battalion, brigade, and higher. And NCOs, we just do what we were built to do and what what other nations try to emulate just can't yeah. replicate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Being a primary trainer down there, so I think that's one big one. Um, I mentioned division in the dirt. I think that's that's huge because we said in our our doctrine, the division is the principal warfighting headquarters, but then we actually have to do it. We have yeah. to stress it, <laughs> right? right? Um, so some of this is we're going to rear like task organize to what we think the future R struck is going to be. We got to put that out there in the dirt. And we got to test it, and did we get it right sure. before we actually do it? And we we want to learn from these lessons we observe, and inform the army, and make sure our doctrine is moving with the speed of relevance of how we fight. Hmm. It's one thing to draw it on a piece of paper or on a whiteboard, but we actually have to have commanders with their NCOs and their soldiers out there actually doing sure. what we say they can do. That's huge. Um, our support to Capstone, the relationship between the Futures Command and and, and Forces Commanders is super important because I right. we keep. You hear the chief and the secretary say, transform in contact. And now, I know we have a uh, discussion on that later. Um, We have a responsibility because all requirements starting in with a soldier, not just any soldier, a force comm warfighter. Because that's the one we're going to put this thing in their hands, and they have to employ it in large-scale combat operations. Right? So if we don't get the soldier with the scientist in the dirt to stress that piece Mm -hmm. of kit, I always like to say if— if you want to find out something works, put it in the hands of a paratrooper. They're going to break it. Right. Right. <laughs> and and that, and that's just kind of proof yeah. to it. Um, because 2030 is now. 
right? We have to start testing those competencies, those gaps that were those warfighting gaps that we're identifying. We have to start kind of developing some solutions, and we got to start testing things yeah. now. The structure, the future Army structure, there's going to be some tough decisions to be made. I know there's some things have been communicated to our uh, 19 Deltas and our 19 Kilos, you know, the creation of a 19 Charlie MOS and some other things. There's some uncertainty out there with the engineers and MPs. No decision has been formally made just yet, but there's a plan. And Forces Command has got to take a hard look at that plan, and we've put our vote in. And I think we're happy with the future way of things going, and I think there's a plan for everybody in the Army, soldier, civilian, family member, as far as what that's going to look like. Bottom line is there's a relevancy to what we have to do. We have to transform. We've seen the lessons observed, what happened with the Ukraine and Russia in conflict, uh, what's going on in Indo-Pacific. Uh, the new cop, uh, capabilities are being developed. We've seen other, other things that happen in CENTCOM. We have to transform. Absolutely. Right, whether it's new MOSs, whether it's new equipment, it's got to happen. And then, one one key salient point that the commander mentioned is Manning is our number one most significant twenty FY twenty three concern. Well, it's FY twenty four, and it still is. Right, yeah. we have an accessions challenge, yeah. um, but we have soldiers in forces command right now, and we got to make sure those soldiers are ready, they're available, they're deployable, and are lethal. Yeah. So we have to work on that uh, with what we have. Right. No, absolutely. And what's interesting is you talk about transforming. Yeah. And um, you talked earlier about how, you know, a young paratrooper being here on Fort Liberty, formerly Fort Bragg, and you're in the barracks. And, and what you saw being that young paratrooper to what you saw now, you've seen a lot of changes throughout the Army. You've seen inclusion to some, some of our MOSs and, and a lot of other things. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen and where we are now and, and, and why that's important, some of those transformations? No, no, absolutely. I mean, I've seen it ebb and flow, right? I mean, uh, I remember being 11 Bravo and looking around and we had 11 hotels, 11 Mikes. We still have 11 Charlies, you know, and we consolidated CMF 11 into 11 Bravo and 11 Charlie, right? right. We, we pulled in Mikes in, in hotels. 68s, they've broken out to different whether you're whiskeys, Charlies, and then we consolidate it again, and the ASI determines who you are, kind of stuff. Oh yeah. So we've yeah. seen that kind of ebb and flow. Um, signaliers, uh, shoot, two years ago there were 17 MOSs. Oh yeah. Now we're down to 11. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when you have too much specificity and you don't have enough people, and then you're in a, a very special MOS, and we're ha we're having a sessions challenge, and we don't have enough people in that special MOS to do what we need them to do. Hmm. That impacts what? Your readiness, yeah. right? I'll give you an example. If I don't have a warrant officer that's responsible for maintaining a high or exquisite piece of kit, call it something on our G2 uh, that looks at things, the, you know, finds things for our, our targeteers to, to target and then levy uh, munitions against. Right. If I don't have that, that exquisite skill to fix that nice piece of kit, then the commander can't do what we need to do in time and space, yeah. you know, out make more decisions faster than the adversary. So we have to have that person, but more importantly, I think what we found is maybe we don't have to be super niche special, right? Mm -hmm. Especially like we, I just mentioned our signaliers, you know, s some of them can actually do more. We've asked them to do more and they've proven we can do more. You know, imagine that, our soldiers are really talented. We just gotta <laughs> yeah, yeah, give yeah. them the opportunity to yeah. show it to us, yeah. right? Um, I would tell you the, the MOS certification and expert badges have been super huge. Mm -hmm. uh, the MI training strategy, the foundry we brought in for our, our Intel folks, 
the medical CEUs over time for for our medics. Um, the E3B, we developed the expert soldier badge, to, mm. you know, to complement the expert in- infantry badge and the expert field medical badge. And I think that's super important. That's inclusion. Yeah. Um, and it really makes you better at what you do. Sure. You get a chance to prove I am an expert. Yeah. Our doctrine, um, I've seen it move at the speed of relevancy now to, to where it's actually consistent with how we're fighting on the ground. Um, at one point, FM 6-22, which is our leadership manual, um, talked about some really cool leadership competencies and leadership attributes and all these, other, but they weren't consistent with our counseling enhancement tool, right. our non-commissioned officer and officer and evaluation forms, mm-hmm. our assessments. So now they're all synchronous, right? They say the same terminology. It's amazing, <laughs> right? Um, it's, it's feedback. Uh, and then I would tell you that I've seen the Army get biased towards action and okay with failing fast mm-hmm. because it's okay to fail back here in the garrison to try to get something right or actually in our, one of our combat training centers to yeah. experiment mm-hmm. our capstone because we don't want to fail on the battlefield. So I've seen that with both our structure, our policy, and also our doctrine, and, and I think it's making our Army a lot better. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think um, that young paratrooper that sees some of these changes, how do you think that would have changed you or, or your leadership approach when you were a younger troop, these, these changes that have been implemented today? Um, boy, when I was a young paratrooper, I didn't even make eye contact with my platoon sergeant, <laughs> right? Um, now, now, uh, we encourage our young soldiers to, to, to communicate with our leaders about, hey, you have a special skill that you just can't see on an, on an assessment right. or on your talent management profile. Um, you know, I just left the 18 Airborne Corps. Um, one thing the Futures Command is trying to figure out with their, uh, software lab is we have people out there that know, that understand coding as a language right there's no mos for that there's no additional skill identifier for that such a gap i know it's huge (laughs) and we have soldiers i mean i've seen young soldiers that were mechanics right uh food service professionals yeah hr professionals that do this stuff on the weekends have have master's degrees in this stuff that are expert at it that's right and we've seen them uh in one of my Many of my six no-notice deployments do things <laughs> yeah. on the edge that's made our army better. Like a tactical solution, we've been able to pass off the futures command to scale up and out across the army. Sure, that's fantastic. A- um, that yeah. was not available to Private Holland. Oh yeah. Right. I was an infantryman. It's like, what are you talking about? Get better at shooting your M two hundred three grenade launcher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so I think that that would have probably motivated me a heck of a lot better. I was already all in. I right. come from a family of, 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 of service, but I would tell you that that would have been fantastic to know that, like, hey, someone actually is paying more attention to what I got to say, too. Right. Because yeah. I actually have a better, uh, a, not a better, but a, I'm a better version of myself because I have a cool skill that nobody else has. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to interrupt here for yeah. a second and say that I shot, I fired an M203. When <laughs> my first, when I started public affairs, I was at Fort Jackson for my internship. Yeah. And I took, I think, I don't know, media person or somebody out to one of the ranges. And they had asked him if he wanted to fire it. And he said, no. And I was like, well, I'll do it. And so, yeah, I had like high heels on and a pink trench coat. But I know. But I, it, I don't know where it went. <laughs> but it, it went that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Downrange. Hey, it that's did. Within the range fan. Yeah, yeah, at least it went that way, right? right. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about this a little bit about yeah. um, 
war fighting and really force combat being what we do and our soldiers train to do Mm -hmm. every day. But can you talk about how our soldiers in particular are working to be brilliant at the basics? Because this is a new term that, I mean, we talked to the SMA about it when he was here and I struggled to get the words out brilliant at the basics. I don't know why. Alliteration. (laughs) But um, can you just talk about that from the force comm perspective? Yeah, you know, um, it's kind of another way to say master the fundamentals. Right. Yeah. Um, and I would tell you that th- this is something that we, uh, you know, as as a new force comp sergeant major, and then we we got uh, some other new uh, a comp sergeant major out there with uh, sergeant major Harris, new trade sergeant major, and we went into this the AUSA is like, hey, you know, what's going to kind of like be some of our top line focus areas as we went into the non- uh, SMA's non commissioned officer professional development panel, and uh, you know, war finding is number one, right? And regardless of who you are. And where you where you serve, you still have to master the fundamentals of what you do every day. You still have to be brilliant at the basics. Yeah. Um, so I kind of hit on the migration from the gated to the fun, foundational to the multinational yeah. brigade and below kind of stuff. But really, when you when you nest brilliant at the basics into the commander's four winds, you know, mm-hmm. General Pops's four winds. Really, it's our four winds. The forces command. It's everybody's. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to talk them in necessary order because uh, I'm just going to talk about the order of relevancy since we said. Brilliant at the basics. It starts with winning the first fight, I think, mm-hmm. right? It's winning at the point of contact. We say make contact the smallest echelon uh, possible in an in infantry manual because I'm an infantryman in, in soul and heart, even <laughs> though my MOS is no longer 11, it's now double O. Yeah. Um, it's still there. Uh, you know, I, I can recertify <laughs> if everybody needs me to. Um, but that young sergeant, that young PFC specialist private that's down there in that fire team, um, in order for them to be fight, win, survive, and thrive on the battlefield and large-scale combat operations, they have to be masters of a couple things, right? Their individual weapon system, hmm. shoot, their movement and maneuver, because we're a maneuver army. That's what makes us special. Right. Um, communicate, right? And we'll talk about more about you. I'm sure I've, I've kind of saw – I got a cheat card ahead <laughs> when I'll be asked a little bit, right? So, And I'm sure there's a surprise out there. But, like, what, what makes a good leader is communication. Um, and then – Brilliance, we have to have non-commissioned officers and officers and warrant officers that train and certify. It's part of our eight-step training model, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I talked about NCOs, the primary trainer, consistent with our doctrine and our policy. Um, but that commonality between sergeant to command sergeant major, right, we're all important. We have one thing in common. We're all sergeants. Strip off the other uh, qualifiers, you know, staff, First class, sure. master first, command sergeant major, whatever. We're all sergeants. So what does that mean, right? Um, we're responsible for training and enforcing standards and discipline, right? And if we do that and we drill and we're master fundamentals, we become brilliant into basics, we're always going to win that point, first point of contact, right, That win that first fight. Now, the future fight, as far as that, uh, building that mastery in our fundamentals is we have to validate that some way, mm-hmm. right? We do that through our live fires, Right, and it's one thing to go out there and we're drilling. We go through EIB, E3, e, ESB, EFB, E3B sites. Um, we do our MI training strategy. We get our med CUs. We go the Mystic. We certify. We do all those great things at Table Eight. Artillerymen, you know, do theirs on their gunnery tables. Our our tank crews, all, all those things say, hey, there's a standard by which we measure you. Whether right. you, you know, it's kind of like a rifleman on a range, right? Are you an expert? Mm-hmm. Right? Or do you a sharpshooter? You know, wh- where are you? Um, 
we get that live fire, but that's great. It's good practice, but we have to do things at night, right? If you look at some of the lessons learned or some of the things we've observed and out there, uh, when the lights go out, we own the night. We have to do all those things that we do at day, the mastery of the fundamentals, but we have to employ and do that and be lethal and dominate at night. Um, makes some people scary. It right. should. Anybody yeah. who's not an American soldier, an American citizen, should be scared of the capability and then of what our army can do when called upon as to. That's our moral responsibility between us and the American public. Absolutely. All right? We have to win as a, as a total balanced army, right? Our doctrine is compo agnostic. It doesn't matter if you're an active soldier, National Guardsman, or reservist. No one, there's no, doesn't say that on U.S. Army, you know, it's, right. it's, it's, it is who it is, right? You're an American soldier on the front line, serving with distinction. You have to be a, a master, a brilliant at the basics. Yeah. We have, when they see you, they're going to look at you. They don't care, right? <laughs> no one else cares. I don't care. Right. Right? They, you're you, a soldier. You look at the rank. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I kind of, I kind of look at like, okay, I see who you are, where you're mm -hmm. not a commissioned officer, officer, one officer, young soldier. Um, and I'm like, okay, uh, do you have a shoulder sleeve insignia? Where you come from? Right. Right? Because then I'm like, okay, are you an armored crew member? Are you an mm -hmm. aviator? Because then I want to know more about you, where you've served. Do you have a combat shoulder sleeve in insignia? Yes or no? Doesn't matter if you do or don't. Uh, but more importantly, it's like, where have you served? What's your, what's your background? What's your base? Because, you know, what, what's great about, you know, moving up uh, from out of a brigade to a division to a corps and now the force commissar major is uh, i'm not supposed to be just very compartmentalized or very uh, have a lot of just experience and wisdom and in being an infantryman i have to be a mile wide and more than an inch right. deep on this yeah. stuff right, right? Yeah. um so uh, part of that's given honest kind of feedback and help mentor young soldiers regardless because in, in, in the end i expect you to be the best version of yourself uh, based off interaction so I kind of I kind of mentioned you know that aspect of it. Uh, the other the other part is we have to win trust and empower leaders. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at three O, it says leadership is the most decisive element of combat power. Right. Right. And leadership doesn't just show up with bars, stars, mm -hmm. leaves, or chevrons. Sure. Right. Because there's informal leadership as well. Yeah. Right. Right. And what makes our army so great is disciplined initiative. Paratroopers in Normandy, creating havoc and making making Germans think more <laughs> yeah. have arrived than what is there because they're just they know the commander's intent, they know their mission, they know the missions of their brothers and sisters left, right, forward, and rear, right. and they're just moving out and they're executing. Right, that's what makes us kind of special. You have to trust people to do that. Right, right. Um, yeah. You have to be brilliant at the basics to go band together with a paratrooper from eighty second, one hundred first. Just because you met up on in some random drop zone in the dead of night in Normandy, and yeah. move out first, know where you're at, and then move out to an objective, right? Um, and then we have this great thing called NCO Corps. All right, it's we've been doing this for a few hundred years, so I'm kind of yeah. a little bit biased. I think we're better than everybody else's NCO Corps. Um, and I already mentioned we, it's always been try to replicate, be yeah. replicated, sure. but not du ever duplicated. Right. Um, our NCOs are great because our commanders empower us. The only reason they empower us because we've earned their trust, mm. yeah. right? Because we're brilliant at the basics and we can impart that wisdom and we can mm. drill and we can hold people accountable. But that trust is earned every day yeah. by our NCOs, right? Absolutely. And everyday selection, meaning you got to show up, yeah. suit up, kid up, and do your best 110% every day. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we're going to run out of time, unfortunately. Oh, no. But we're going to get to a couple more questions sure, before sure. we do. Um, so we talked about this briefly uh, before I brought it up. And we've talked a lot about this on the podcast. But families. Families yes. are a huge part of our, our soldiers' readiness. And our families have to be ready, too. So what is your message to Forcecom leaders and CEOs about being engaged in emphasizing that family readiness is so important so that our soldiers can effectively accomplish their mission? Sure. Uh, really communicate, mm-hmm. right? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's my, my wife would tell you, yeah. you know, my <laughs> wife would tell you, my kids would tell you, they just want to know when I'm going somewhere. Yeah. Sometimes, especially in the immediate response force, teaching response force, you're in a prepare yeah. to deploy order. You might not know where that's going to be. Yeah. Um, but the last thing you want to be able to do is dead night. Like, Hey, spouse, um, I think I might be going somewhere. I don't know where, um, <laughs> You don't want to have, ever have to have that conversation. Yeah. Right. But when you know you're going to a week in the field or you're going mm-hmm. to Jared to see you just got to communicate. So that way your spouse and your kids can have a can understand what the expectations are. Yeah. Know you're coming yeah. home. Can I talk to you? Yes or no. I find that, that causes the most friction is when this, the family mm-hmm. member finds out, you know, as a surprise. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, you're not a two-hour recall, uh, mostly, unless you're down in the 82nd Airborne Division. Yeah. So it's... You know, just communicate. And the other aspect of it is I mentioned six times, no notice. Um, pain entitlements are huge to soldiers. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of hard work was done after that European deployment to make sure that our young soldiers, you know, if, if, you're, if you go to CENTCOM, you're going to get hostile fire pay, imminent danger pay, tax-free. But it went to UCOM, you're on a rotational deployment to Korea, you don't get all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you get... Partial TDY, which isn't a lot. Three fifty per day per diem is, you know, it's. I I, I would hate a special salon to look over my wife and say, hey, I'm I'm going to Europe. I'm going to Korea. I just it's nine months. Um, I just need you to be really frugal. Don't worry about the fact that you see me eating in a in a in a Hungarian restaurant. To, yeah, I'm not yeah, yeah, really yeah. having that much fun. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a hard conversation to have. Yeah. Um. So I would say the army. Uh, we did a lot of effort that way, and the army's working on some operational deployment pay. Um, that's going to help uh, because tax-free inclusion doesn't really it would it really penalizes some of our population. It doesn't help our young soldiers in the outcome because of their base pay. Yeah. Right. So we're looking at operational deployment pay, and I think that's really going to help offset a lot of these things. And then our garrisons have support activities. We're prioritizing care, additional hours at yeah. our at our child care, and other things Absolutely. that we've yeah. put in place. All right. We'll, we'll turn it back over to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, just, just just one more question, Star yeah. Major. Um, it's interesting you talk about, so we're talking about the families, and we're talking about why that's important. And when you tie that into transformation, one thing I think it's important, we're going to, or in the past couple of years, really, with the division as the unit of action, mm-hmm. and all that transforming, and ensuring families understand what's going to change and, and how that's going to affect their troop. But how important do you think it is to capture those lessons learned as we start incorporating this new, relatively new model? Well, I mean, it's, it's imperative, right? I mean, it's great to put on a whiteboard, like I mentioned, or put it in, in a manual somewhere, but at some point we gotta, we got to pull the stain that's behind a, a wooden stick, and there's a little flag on the end of it. It's called a guide-on or a set of collars. Right, it's right, been, yeah. you know, ever since battles – you know, uh, you know, bull run or anything else. Yeah, the colors have been a call to action that people rally around. So at some point, someone's got to form up around those colors and guidons, and then they're going to expectation. There going to be a maybe new types of formations. Um, some things we've been been like our, uh, I would tell you our new 
uh, multi-domain task force, you know, and some of these other things we're going to our IEW battalions we're standing up. Mm-hmm. Some of these new capabilities, you know, division engineer battalions again. Um, we we played around with division recon. Um, so we're look division recon was important that we pilot that in first cavalry division to give the army feedback on like, hey, is this going to work in large scale combat operations right. when it gets near peer threat. I think it's important that we do those types of things and we observe what's going on out there, the realm of relevance. Do we have the right capability, right echelon? Because ultimately, what's the cost if we get it wrong? Sure. American lives. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's that's hard. Yeah. That's hard. Um, you know, if, if you're ever looking at something to read, you can either read the uh, Pacific and European trilogies mm-hmm. and you look at the widespread carnage and devastation, both in, both in civilian loss, you know, towns, soldier loss, you know, Nobody wants to go through. We want to be very precise, and we want to preserve our most precious resources, which is America's sons or daughters. Yeah. Sure. Right. So it's super important we get this right, because if we get it wrong, you know, there's no take backs then. Right. So I think that I think that's a critical lesson that we have to employ here. Yeah. Absolutely. So before I give you the floor, sure. I I just have to ask. So you talked about starting as a private here at Fort what was Bragg, mm-hmm. and now you're the Force Com Command yeah. Sergeant Major. <laughs> Is that something when <laughs> Private Holland was sitting in the barracks could have ever imagined? No, no. I, I mentioned before I'd even make eye contact with my uh, <laughs> uh, platoon sergeant. You know what's funny is uh, there's this guy named Andrew McFowler. Uh, when I was a young specialist at the uh, I'm going to date myself again, the uh, the PLDC, which is yeah. now our BLC. Um, he was the 18th Airborne Corps Sergeant Major, and he ultimately became the Force Comp Sergeant Major. Um, so I got plenty of stories about Andrew McFowler. Um, <laughs> trust me. We, I, I uh, like to jide him all the time because he's still pretty active here in the local community uh, with soldiers and everything else. Um, and what a, what a really a great role model and a mentor throughout. You know, And, that, and that's what I kind of strive to be. But I never would have thought that. Um, I was really happy with being a paratrooper and going to ranger school and coming back and then like, you know what, um, this is kind of fun. I'm going to go to Italy and try this out too. Yeah. And it just kept going, kept going right? <laughs> yeah, it just yeah. kept going. Um, you know, and I would have been perfectly fine with ending my career how I started as a paratrooper inside the 18th Airborne Corps. Yeah. Um, but, you know, call to action. Here yeah. I am as the Force Comp Sergeant Major, and I'm trying to use all of those experiences and those lessons um, and – try to employ them here and just keep learning and keep being a value member of the team. Yeah. PLDC uh, on Butner across from the shop at right the old there. The old wooden ones, barracks. that's right. Yeah. I, went, I, I did that too, PLDC as well. <laughs> 30 so days living. I'm dating myself also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when you said 30 years of service, I was like, shoot, Sergeant Major's only 35. How's that possible? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like this. You're welcome. <laughs> So we've covered a ton yeah. over this conversation, but is there anything that we haven't discussed that you want to make sure we touch on real quick? Well, I will, I will tell you, there's a couple of things that, uh, I'm working on, whether it's the, uh, army transition team has asked us to take a hard look at, or the commanders asked me to take a hard look at. And I just want to let soldiers know out there that, uh, you know, cause when, when you think forces command as a young paratrooper in 82nd or, a young armor crew member out there in uh, the first cavalry division or up there at JBLM, you, you don't even, you know, it's a, I'm a photo on a wall right. until you meet me in person. Right. When I was a paratrooper in 82nd, I never ran down on this industry. I didn't, I didn't really know what 18th Airborne Corps, even though that that was a board question. Right. <laughs> um, we're actually, we do a lot. We do a lot and it's all 
starts and end, like I kind of mentioned with the requirement and, and who we most care about, that's our soldiers. Sure. So a couple things, um, training responsibilities. We've, uh, the ask, we've been asked to take a hard look at like who's responsible for what and are we doing too much? If it's not war fighting, then why are we doing it? Right. Right. All this online training that impacts, you know, a lot of our soldiers' time, whether it's part of our PME and then really our Compo 2, Compo 3 brothers and sisters, they don't have hours in their training to right. actually do this online training. <laughs> sure. So we're taking a hard look at that. I'm um, involved in a barracks initiatives group with, uh, with the Assistant Secretary of the Army for in, uh, Installation, Energy, and Environment. Um, really about reinvestment in our barracks, some privatization uh, pilots coming up soon. Mm. A, lot, a lot of, we're, we have not bounded ourselves by uh, any constraints. It's like no mm. idea is a bad idea as long as it makes sense. Sure. Um, H2F. Um, super involved with that. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not just Very your ACFT score. It's not just your body composition. It's it's your fitness. It's your nutrition. It's your lethality. It's your cognition. Yeah. It's your sleep. Um, it's your belief. Even yeah. if you don't believe in a higher powering, you believe whatever your belief is yourself, and you're all in. You know, Texas Hold'em, all the chips in the table yeah. on you. That's fine. What drives you to serve and yeah. be better? Um, the innovation portfolio is huge. We have to change. You're gonna you're gonna see some a lot of things getting delivered commercial off the shelf faster, just so we can start right. training with things, start employing things, learning things, and sponsorship. You know, if you look at the last Casal survey, it's like a lot of soldiers are like, hey, I don't really feel like I've been in, integrated and, and enculturated in my organization. Mm-hmm. Have we done that right? Mm-hmm. And the way how we do things, and measure things, isn't re- isn't true sponsorship. It's turning a, a, a red or amber chiclet to a green one, mm-hmm. right? right? Yeah. Uh, we need to take a hard look at like what that actually means to onboard and offboard somebody and their family, yeah. right? So that's something that I'm heavily involved with as well. All right. Yeah, that's important. Um, thinking about that, and and especially because for some young young soldiers, young paratroopers, that's the first interaction with the army that they'll yeah. see. Yeah. And yeah. so with with them and their families, how take do you it serious, them? right? Right. Because when a young paratrooper shows up to uh, Fort Liberty, and they go over to the 18th Reception Company. Um, they those those leaders over at the reception company wear the 18 Airborne Corps patch, right? They're representatives of General Donahue and Sergeant Major Barker. That's right. your first chance to get a first impression. So you mess that up, exactly. You don't get a second chance, right? <laughs> right. Um, and it's like I don't know what that was, but I hope the Army experience is a lot better than yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really important, especially when you're talking about retention too, and keeping absolutely. keeping our soldiers. That's yeah, a, absolutely. But I mean, here's here's the deal, right? It's a symbiotic relationship. The Army's not joining you in your way of life. You're joining the Army. And our goal is to make you a better version of yourself. Be brilliant at the basics. Give you opportunities to succeed, fight, win, survive, and thrive. Yeah. Right? And then communication is important. Give you candid feedback. Mentor you. Help you grow and be a better person. Yeah. Build trust. So we help you communicate with your family. And you know when it's time to go, you right. communi- your family knows who to trust and communicate with when you're doing your job. Because... A distracted soldier on the front line mm. can make a mistake that might be costly, and we don't want him or her to do so. Absolutely. And Dean is probably going to kill me for continuing this conversation. Yes. But <laughs> <laughs> we talk about possibilities in the Army and the things that you the, the Army can provide to you once once you're in. I mean, we've talked to soldiers on the podcast who are in the course and have been on America's Got Talent, and I know yeah. you're familiar with that. Sure. We've talked to an EOD soldier who has been on the Food Network's Chopped. We've right, talked to right, a gold right, right. medalist. Um, I mean – yeah the possibilities in what you can do and to, just to to be able to retain these soldiers who who do who do have this potential i think is it's really important mm. 
Yeah, I mean, because it brings people from all different facets yeah. and unique abilities and capabilities that they add to their teams. It's just some amazing, amazing soldiers out there. Yeah. You know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of conclude my comments on this one, and if you guys got any follow-ups, I'm here. Um, Sergeants Major are also historians. Uh, we all are, we preserve the colors and the history that comes with those. Yeah. Um, and since we're here on this installation, I'll talk about the All-American Division. The All-American Division started in World War One, right? They were called All-Americans because we that was the first division in our army at World War One that brought in people from across America right. to build this division, not just like your local region, like the 34th in one location or. You know, it was from across America. Interesting. Yes. And in World War II, um, part of that culture they were trying to build was building upon all the the great honor, glory, Medal of Honor recipients. They actually brought people back who had who were very successful in the All-American Division uh, before, while they were training here nearby before they deployed to uh, England and future on the continent. Right. Bring, bringing all that history back to build that culture of, of what it meant to be the all-Americans, right? So to your point, bringing people from all these different walks of life, all these skills yeah. and backgrounds yeah. and pulling them together to build a team, it's not easy. No, no. no. Um, but when it works. It works. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again for taking time to talk with us. I'm glad we got you on. Um, I th- think this was a really great conversation. Thank you, Sergeant Major Randolph, yeah, for yeah. being here again. Yeah, I appreciate um, it. And, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, yeah. guys. Thanks, Sergeant Major. All right. Finally made it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it for this episode. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can also find full video episodes of our podcasts on YouTube. You can just search for The Force Comm Frontline. And we'll see you next time on the front line.